Anaerobic digesters serve several important purposes within a wastewater treatment plant. Not only do these reactors serve a valuable purpose in treating volatile solids, but they also produce valuable byproducts, such as biogas and even fertilizer in some cases. These structures, however, must be properly protected as corrosive forces in the gas zone can degrade steel and concrete. On today's episode of Coatings Decoded, we wrap up our discussion on digesters with Dave Walker of Avid Protective Products. Dave shares some valuable insights from some of his recent inspections of anaerobic digesters in Ontario, Canada. We reflect upon these findings and provide further commentary on some of the different coating types available and how the proper selection of these coatings can help to extend the service life of these key wastewater assets. So, so with that said, Dave, I, I would say uh, really the first one I wanted to talk about with you what was a digester in Eastern Ontario that you recently did an inspection on. Yeah. So if you, if you could, can you take a few moments and discuss your findings within that digester? We can start to go from opinions on how long that certain technology lasts and go to more of a data-based findings of what longevities are. So that we're taking um, actual case histories and adding data to know how long a technology might last in this given environment rather than just speculation. So the Eastern Ontario one was Again, because I'm older, uh, it was one that I was familiar with because it was approximately 15 years ago that it was uh, redone. It was done with a technology that I did not support. I wrote uh, letters to the engineer on record at the time saying I would not use that technology. So to be able to be given the opportunity 15 years later to go into it and assess it, I was very happy to do that. And it was a a polyurethane technology. It was an extended and augmented polyurethane in that it had uh, coal tar in it to try and make it more impermeable. But it was an elastomeric, a true elastomeric polyurethane, not more of a rigid polyurethane. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a it would be classified at the 15 year point as a catastrophic failure. Uh, sheets of it hanging piles of the coating on the floor of the uh, oh, tank, wow. uh, blister formation, uh, relatively poor detail orientation as far as how the coating was terminated with different mm-hmm. elements. We can we can call them a, a steel lid or a concrete lid, but on a concrete, we still have different elements. We have pipes that penetrate through that could be stainless or mild steel. Uh, we could have duct iron pipe uh, that couples with the coming out of the concrete. So you could also look at how much attention was given to that installation of what might not have been the best uh, selection for technologies, but it could be because they didn't give uh, comfort or, or detail on that installation that could have accelerated that end of life occurrence. And I mean, I, I know personally, I see that a lot, Dave, where um, the system may not have been the issue, but but it was more of just not providing those details. You know, there, there's that saying that the devil is in the details. And um, the, the fact is, I mean, if, if you don't properly address those details, 
even the best coding system in some situations is pro is not going to hold up in a lot of cases if you don't properly address those terminations. And so, uh, a hundred percent. And that's one of the things we have to be careful with when we do try to look at case histories to provide us a basis to stand on. On the question always comes up: How long is this system going to last? You know, without data or case histories, we're speaking from opinion, and you need a fair number of those inspections or review of technologies and it takes years to get it uh, yeah. because you got to be careful that you're not looking at a premature failure because of those details caused that that failure you to separate the technology from all those ancillary items that could impact the lifespan well, in, in this case, apparently this situation you looked at was not an isolated incident. I, I know uh, you and I were talking and it sounds like you, you were also recently working with a major engineer on, on another digester failure. Um, could, could you give us some feedback on what was going on within that digester? Sure. And what we saw in that one was the exact same technology that came in in 2008 into the marketplace and went, we are the same as the other technology. You've been using aromatic polyurethanes who are fairly rigid in nature. We are an aromatic polyurethane as well. And they didn't look at the capabilities of that material. If you go from something with 50% elongation up to something with 300% elongation in a gas zone environment, high humidity, methane, H2S, and all those other elements that we, we've talked about, how is it going to perform? And part of that conversation about detailing uh, that impacts is it was a non-engineered system in both cases, um, in that the manufacturer who came in and said, me too, me too, don't, don't ask me for proof, I'm just as good as what you've been using, they didn't have a resurfacer for the concrete. So both of these tanks were concrete, uh, of course, fixed. So doing the upper part of the walls and the roof and part of the columns, but they didn't have a system to resurface the concrete before that material was applied. And therefore, they went and found a third party option on the marketplace. And again, there was no request or requirement for proof of that system uh, for long term exposure. And when we went into both of these tanks, we saw exactly what we expected from an elastomeric polyurethane because it shouldn't be used in that environment. The H2S molecule on water has goes right through it because it has a very high permeability rating or perm rating. And we saw massive delamination from that third party resurfacer because it had never been tested as a system, whether that material was applied directly to it, whether there was a primer or not, whether that resurfacer needed surface preparation before you applied the coating. And I don't want it to sound like we're, we're piling on polyurethane technologies. I know, uh, Dave, you've got a long story career working within the industry with polyurethanes. I know myself currently, I actually sit on uh one of the standard or, or one of the prominent committees uh, within the industry that actually develops the standard for for polyurethanes. So I, I don't want it to sound like that, that we're necessarily trying to trash that technology. Um, 
Dave, I know you, you've you've looked at a lot of projects through the years. Um, I know these particular past two projects did involve aromatic polyurethanes, but I wanted to ask you: Have all of the projects that you've inspected with with this technology always ended up with the same results? And and if if not, you know, could you give some examples of that? Um, and you're you're bang on correct on that uh, interpretation. There's nothing wrong with the technology, but and it's used very successfully and has been. And when I have uh, specified it or recommended it for specifications and applications in this environment for decades, where it comes into play is going back to that point that I think we said before was the assumption that all things are equal without proving it. And if you're from Missouri and the show me state, you know, Mm. it's critically important because to blindly assume that two different materials are the same because we use a couple words to describe them, that's a danger. You need to have proof of concept in that design and in that product and how it's built as a system and not all not all things are equal. So we I've been into anaerobic mesophilic digesters where 100% solid polyurethanes have been applied uh, successfully. 17, 18, 20 years of service life beginning to show, you know, mm-hmm. occurrences that would indicate that there is starting to be a breakdown of the film. But even then, you would anticipate that a five-year more or some number of years more service life is practical. So, again, to your point, we're not bashing the technology because there are a variety of technologies that can be used, and each one of them has a pro and con depending on the local marketplace um, and the cost and time of year, all those things that go into selecting the technology that you want to use. It's the blind assumption that... uh, everything will perform and that everything is equal is the danger. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and kind of shifting for a second from, from polyurethanes, uh, let's talk more about some of your observations, you know, talking about some of these different coating types. I, I know you've also had have recent inspections where you've, you've observed digesters that have had polyureas used in them. And then also you, you've observed some that have had cementitious products used. So, so with that said, could you give us some feedback on what you were able to see in some of those digesters? Sure. The easiest one to talk about, it would be more of the uh, cementitious ones, both mm-hmm. the calcium aluminate and the acrylic cementitious. Neither technology is really designed for that gas zone uh, of a digester. And what we observed was basically erosion of the film by it breaking down because of its inability to survive that that environment um, and basically dissolving away. And again, why was it used? It's because it was unproven. It was taken at face value that it would work in that environment um, and therefore was was specified and applied. The uh, polyureas, they in general are much more elastomeric and therefore again they suffer from inability to resist the penetration of that h2s methane and water molecule and you see very rapid uh, osmotic blistering and despondent mm-hmm. that follows from that 
So Dave, you know, just talking about some of these different uh, technologies um, really ties back into some of the other talks that you've given in the industry where we talk about how performance matters, how testing matters. Um, if you're an owner, if you're an engineer, you've got a lot of options available to you. You've got a lot of a lot of good coding manufacturers that, that make good products. But then, I mean, number number one, the question is, how do you select the right coding manufacturer? And then number two, uh, once you start looking at that coding manufacturer's suite of products, um, how do you determine which material is really best? And, and so, Dave, I, I was hoping you could maybe take a moment and discuss really again why performance matters and, and kind of tie it back into these cases that you observed. And, and I'd like you to answer that question is, you know, how could the, the, the proper material selection have really benefited the asset owner in those cases? Well, I think the basis of that is many people describe that, well, the best way to make sure that you get a good system is look for where it's technologies that have been used before. But the problem is, is that puts a lot of newer technology on the shelf because nobody wants to be an early adopter or anything like that. And and if we wait for vessels that tend not to get open for 10 or 20 years, the data is far and few between as far as case histories go. So we have to use ASTM test methods or other test methods to compare known versus the unknown or compare between options. Mm -hmm. And and that we, we need to take one step back even further. And you've alluded to it in the conversation before is understanding that environment and asking those questions. Uh, what is the operating temperature? Uh, what are the inflows and the inputs into this vessel? Do you have records for the operation of it? And, you know, what is the swing in temperature? Um, I had one time where somebody said, yeah, yeah, we may go three to four degrees Celsius above that normal operating range, but it will take forever to get there. It'll take a month mm -hmm. for it to get up to that high. And my response was, yeah, but it's going to take just as long to come back down. So quit calling it a spike exposure. That's that's systemic. That is the environment that it's going to be in. Your yeah. operating range is not down here with temporary spikes. Your operating range is much bigger. So if we understand and ask those questions about the environment and understand that, we can then not just take things on blind faith, look at relevant test data and not just on the coding but the entire system to make sure that that entire system uh, performs and we can use a ASTM G210 which is a SWOT EIS analysis ensuring that exposing that film to a, uh, an environment very similar or identical to where it's going and testing it over time to make sure that the barrier properties are not diminishing or catastrophically falling off is mm -hmm. one method, permeability and permeability rating. And if we have a non-traditional type of environment, immersion testing, um, adhesion. So it's take that coding system, expose it to conditions in an accelerated form from that we anticipate in that environment, and then confirm, not just look at it and say, well, it didn't fall off, well, glue dollies on and test how well it's stuck. Has there been a dimension change? Has there been a weight change? All of those type of things to prove concept that that is a viable 
coding and a viable coding system for that known environment. And those are the keys and why performance matters, testing matters, and thus formulation matters. Because even as one manufacturer, we could have different options that are slightly different to augment certain property characteristics. They may not perform the same. And the only mm -hmm. way that we knew, know that from different formulations is by testing it and proof of concept. Dave, I, I appreciate you breaking that down. Uh, those are all excellent points that I think the industry de definitely needs to be reminded of um, with there being so many choices out there. So being able to look at that at, at more of a systematic approach. Um, when, when you look at it through that lens, in a lot of cases, you, you, you end up with a material in most cases that gives you a longer service life. And I would say in, in even more cases, the lowest life cycle cost. And so if you're an asset owner or, an, or specifying engineer, it is very prudent that you look at, at that whole whole picture, more or less. So today, I would say before we close today, um, I, I wanted to, you know, with me being uh, my role at Tanemic, being director of sales um, for Water Wastewater, and, and with, with you being an independent agency of Tanemic, we talked a lot about some of the, the failures that you've seen. Um, but I'd like to give maybe give you the opportunity to talk about some of the coding technologies that you have specified that you've seen have good success in, in these environments. Sure. And again, we're going to limit that to, you know, my geographic area and the performance and the tanks that, that we've gone in and done are classified as the mesophilic anaerobic digesters, whether they're fixed or floating, whether they're steel or concrete. So in that environment, the specialty built 100% solids epoxies, whether they're fiberglass reinforced or thick film, uh, that mm -hmm. perform well in, in terms of this uh, SWAT or waste severe wastewater with good EIS results perform very well in that traditional uh, application. The 100% solids rigid polyurethanes have performed well in the tanks that we've gone in and looked at. Um, Again, when they're part of an engineered system and not just a product that's, you know, hodgepodge put together into a system with different elements in the marketplace. We've gone into uh, digesters that have older technologies, like the coal tar epoxies and that, and they performed well. But when we stop, as you describe and say, when we start thinking of terms of life cycle and life cycle costing, and when we look at the cost of surface preparation, environmental control, access to the surface application, even though the coal tars do okay as far as lifespan goes and maybe cheaper slightly than the specifically designed 100% solids and, and the 100% solids aromatic polyurethanes, they really don't make sense because you re-incur that cost of access and redoing it quicker. And that life cycle costing analysis kind of puts them on their back feet. Great, great input there. I, I thank you for that. Um, one last question here. Uh, we've talked about a lot today, Dave. Uh, and, and once again, thank you for your insights there. Um, but I wanted to kind of leave it with you and, and let you leave the listener maybe with uh, um, some overall lessons learned or, or maybe some final thoughts. I think the final 
thought or the best way to wrap it up is um, it is relatively easy to follow um, a logical conclusion of selecting a coding system, whether it's the gas zone or the immersion, if you're trying to separate the substrate from the environment, to go from a, a I don't know what to do if to a picking a solution. It is a logical process to follow that you define, as we've talked about, define that environment, define the conditions, ask for proof of what the technologies are and how they compare for that environment, and then to design a good specification to make sure that you get what you um, want and what you selected with good installation details, because all of those elements, the environmental control, how you terminate coatings, everything plays into that expected lifespan. And you can't do that in isolation. You need to seek out people that know those details. And if you do that, it actually becomes very methodical and logical. Well, Dave, thank you for that. And, and I thank you again for joining us today. And, and we really hope to have you on again uh, on Coding Secoded in the near future. Well, thank you very much for the invite. I... Uh, I'm always nervous when asked to go on this because you, you're worried that what you think and how you view the world is maybe not common or that you will be on that day very inefficient at trying to share the the thoughts and what your lessons that you have learned um, and being able to communicate that to other people. So thank I, you very I, much for the invite. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I can I can agree with, with all your points there as well. Yes, sir. So. So, so hope hope to have you on again in the near future, as I mentioned. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this interview today. If nothing else, we hope that you as the listener walk away from today's discussion with a greater understanding of digesters and some of the coatings that can be used in these complex structures. Stay tuned for some future episodes of Coatings Decoded, where we will continue to tackle some topics related to the long-term protection of key water and wastewater assets. Thank you again for your time today, and we look forward to engaging with you all on future episodes. Today's discussion reinforces the fact that coding selection can play a vital role in extending the life of wastewater structures. Not only does coding selection matter, but also performance matters when deciding which coding to use in an anaerobic digester. We hope that you, the listener, walk away from this discussion with a greater understanding of how protective coatings can help to protect against corrosion within digesters. As always, we thank you for joining us for this episode of Coatings Decoded. <laughs>